0: Hey privates, before we get into today's episode, I want to turn you on to an amazing podcast from our pleasure podcast network. I freaking love sex talk with my mom because Cam and Karen Lee are the most hilarious mother son duo out there. I mean, come on, talking to your mom about sex. It's iconic. Here's a little preview.
1: Mom, what does bad cum taste like? You know when you accidentally burp and you have something come back up from the earlier in the day? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it tastes like, okay? Oh, no. We host a podcast called Sex Talk With My Mom. It's not sex with my mom. It's sex talk with my mom, no one perv. thought. No one thought it was sex with my mom. Just a mom and a son chit-chatting about sex. Not just sex, uncomfortable conversations. Our goal is to make the uncomfortable comfortable. Here are some clips from our show. What I would prefer is like a very intimate connection. I I would prefer fucking phone sex or some or video sex. You go watch the notebook and get off.
0: If you look at the picture in a certain angle, it looks like I have like a bulge in my underwear.
1: Pussy area. (laughs) You want to have. You're very opinionated. You want to have weed sex. I don't care. Are you talking about this stuff with your mom? It's so weird. That's why we do this. Check out Sex Talk with My Mom. Wherever you listen to podcasts
2: and also on TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> okay. and YouTube. Mom, um, check out Sex Talk with My Mom.
3: You were listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.
0: Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and I interrupt the regularly scheduled sex programming for a special presentation of our Mind Trip series. Don't worry, privates. I know we all love sex, so I'm going to be back with an awesome episode about unionizing strippers next time. But in the meantime, I wanted to revisit our series on psychedelics because I've got some updates. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes of the Mind Trip series. Thus far, we've done four episodes, but it's been a while. So I'm going to give us all a refresher. And then you're going to hear the director's cut of a radio story I did for Santa Monica NPR affiliate KCRW about ayahuasca in Southern California. And I think you guys are gonna like that because it's kind of a different style than I normally do on a podcast. And then you're gonna hear me interview documentarian and podcaster Giancarlo Canavesio days after my first ayahuasca ceremony. So I am like just communing with Mama Aya and super open and feeling amazing. And Giancarlo is much deeper into his psychedelic journey than I am. So it was really interesting to get his perspective at that time. So I think you guys are going to love today's episode. It's going to be really fun. But before we start, I just want to remind y'all, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. I am sharing some reporting I've done and my own personal experience. You got to do your own research on this stuff. And some of it may seem you know, pretty out of this world and groovy, but there are very real risks associated with psychedelics, some of which we're gonna get into today. So I just wanna make sure we're approaching this topic with the gravity it deserves. So, end speech. (laughs) Let's dive in with an excerpt from the interview that kicked this whole series off. So basically, the summer of 2021, I got this PR email for psychedelic water and it just made me think like, damn, this is going mainstream. And it sent me down this rabbit hole because I was trying to understand the corporatization of something that was so commonly associated with indigenous practices and free love. So let's go. Here we go, baby. Let's get weird. Are you ready for this
2: mind
4: Hi, my name is Ben Rogel with Psychedelic Water, and I am the director of
1: marketing. Hi, my name is Keith Stein, and I'm the founder of Psychedelic Water.
0: First of all, okay, so this is legal, but how, like, what are the ingredients? What effect does it actually have? Let's start there.
4: Our star ingredients are cava and demiana blended with green tea. And then just a couple of things that we wanted to make sure while we're talking about ingredients is that it's, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO. So it's low calorie and we actually don't add sugar. We naturally sweeten it with monk fruit extract. And so the effects are this really sort of calm, euphoric feeling, but you never lose that mental inhibition. So it's you know a, a great alcohol replacement. A lot of our customers use it in various capacities, whether it's you know, to take the edge off when they're having a stressful day at work, or to get in the mind of creativity, or just to do like a fun hobby, as well as socialize with their friends, you know, instead of using something like alcohol.
0: I read that, yeah, one of the ingredients, it is like kind of a social ingredient.
4: So you're probably thinking about cava
0: yeah Um, and and it has been traditionally used in like ceremonies and things like that
4: yeah in the south pacific islands it's i mean they don't drink a lot of alcohol they uh actually use kava and they use it very much in a traditional social setting they sit around they make it into a tea but one thing to point out i don't know if you've ever tried tea it tastes terrible um in my opinion it's (laughs)
1: opinion it tastes like shit it tastes like <laughs>
4: shit no, no, it's really,
1: it really a very bitter herb uh,
4: yeah and so you know as as part of our formulation process i mean we spent over six months just making sure that it's perfect to overcome that challenge of the taste of cava, and i really think we've achieved that where you know we have a product that tastes incredible it's refreshing it's like no other product on the market.
1: So we talked about how it took us a long time to just nail this. We actually hired a food scientist professor from NYU. We also engaged a formulation company, and they were, they were really tasked with figuring this out. And it wasn't easy because our objective was we're the first legal psychedelic CPG product in the world, as far as we know. And we want to be very faithful to a psychedelic ethos. The challenge was creating something that is legitimately psychedelic. And Cava root or Cava, for example, is considered a psychedelic. It's psychoactive, but it's non-hallucinogenic. So we figured out that was the way to thread the needle here with Cava. If we wanted to take this to the mainstream, because we want to really spread the psychedelic gospel and we want to have a great product, but we couldn't have a product that was going to have psilocybin. We couldn't create a product that was going to melt people's faces off. So we just got the stars aligned here and figured out something that gives people the right type of, I don't like to use the word buzz, but there's no better word, really. Some people describe it as a body high. Some people describe it as a cross between a joint and a glass of wine. But whatever it is, we've had a really tremendous response from people. I see us as we are, you know, psychedelics have, have been lurking in the shadows unfairly. And I was very involved in cannabis. You know, cannabis has had really a, a great uh, evolution over Mm -hmm. the last five to 10 years. And I see a similar evolution, or maybe even a revolution happening with psilocybin and the whole psychedelics area. Unfortunately, psilocybin is not legal right now. And and we're not just strictly focused on psilocybin.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. My thinking has been that if we can develop this great corporate ethos, this great brand and, and team, that we can be at the forefront of the psychedelics space, play a leadership role, and try to advocate for decriminalization, ultimately legalization, and it will come. And when that when that day does come, I think we're going to be, you know, when I started this company two years ago, one of the first things I did was I trademarked the word psychedelic around the world. That gives us a, a really interesting strategic advantage, and it puts us in a position when that day comes, when psilocybin or other psychedelics are legalized, we will have the opportunity to create amped up versions of our product however until that day comes we're trying to push the envelope as much as we can so here we are today with our two products there's a third product called orange oolong which is coming out which is also kava based in addition to the two microdose products but this is as much envelope pushing we can do right now without getting arrested
0: Okay, real talk. I kind of couldn't believe they trademarked the word psychedelic around the world. Like, how is that even possible? So put a pin in that thought. We are going to return to it later. But for the next episode in this series, I interviewed my friend Alex about his first ayahuasca ceremony to help me prepare for my own.
3: So the first thing after drinking it, like we get into it, start so playing the music and I'm looking around. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, When's it gonna kick in? And then all of a sudden I hear just projectile vomiting on the other side of the room and then over here and then over here and then over here. This person (laughs) starts laughing hysterically. This person starts crying and this person is like, starts doing, you know, like like prayers in there, in there, you know, like all sorts of weird shit. People get up and dance in the middle of it. But it, it, it all sort of comes on differently for everybody. So for me, it came on slow. And I've some people I've talked to. That's just it might just be biological. Some people it just comes on slower. So I was looking around like, what is what's going on? Everyone seems to be in a different space. And then all of a sudden, it hit uh, like a wave. And uh, the way best way I can describe it is that it's like um, it's just immense gratitude. So think about a time in your life where something happened where you've been planning on it for a long time and it it actually, everything went right and you were so pleased or like someone did something for you unexpected and it was the nicest gesture that you'd ever experienced and you're like, oh my God, there is humanity. Take that and amplify it by, you know, whatever. And it's that kind of feeling that washes over you, just so thankful. And then that sort of dissipates into like a blissful, just a blissful feeling.
0: And this wound up being so accurate and true to my own experience. The amount of gratitude that I felt and continue to feel is kind of unreal. And my episode with Alex was followed up with a full debrief about my ayahuasca experience on the podcast with Sophia when she was co-hosting. I really did not want to throw up. That was like a huge thing on my first night is just like, I had a fear about it. Who likes to throw up? Nobody does, right? mm- so I did throw up after the second cup but I got like bugs in my eyes before I purged um so Is this I kind like of a
5: euphemism
0: no I got the visual of bugs in my eyes like I knew it was coming what do you mean like ants like what do you mean like ants kind of spider type of deals okay ants
5: and spiders are really different
0: I would say more like ants they were black bugs okay yeah. I don't know how many legs they had. Maybe six. (laughs) It might have been a mixture.
5: Is it like that one Orkin commercial where you think that like a cockroach is crawling across your screen?
0: It was crawling across. They were little bugs, but they were crawling across my eyes like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then until like the Orkin man hits it, you really think it's on your TV. Yeah. I mean, it didn't feel like it, but it looked like there were bugs in my eyes. Like it was a visual thing. And then I just knew that it was coming, and I puked up my Taco Bell, <laughs> which I'd already <laughs> – I had two chalupas, black bean chalupas going into it because I was. St- I tried to – Alex was like, you got to fast for fucking ever. I wish I would have fasted for longer. And I think him and I have two different definitions of fasting. Like I'm a purist, and so to me that's like water fasting as much as possible. And so I hadn't really – eaten anything that day and then it got to be like i don't know 4 30 or 5 or whatever and i was like fuck i need to eat i just felt like i needed to eat and i'm glad i did even though i puked up one of my favorite foods and <laughs> the guy next to me was like good job that taco bell had to come up <laughs> that's hilarious so they're like cheering me on they're like way to go you did it <laughs> <laughs> Love the supportive environment. Love I know. It was amazing. And then I was really in my intention. I kept going back to it. It's a very like circular experience for me anyway. And I went was going back to my intention. Like, what are my blocks? What are my self-limiting beliefs? Like, what is holding me back? What can I work on? And the main answer that came to me In the second cup, and the music really ramps up at this point. So like it's Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. And you're like singing like Love Surrounds You and people are like, That's the best song! That's the best song I've ever heard. This girl (laughs) says And then I got this message like right at the end, like literally ten minutes before they were closing the ceremony, which doesn't mean, like, you're sober, but you're you're probably more sober at that point, and everyone kind of unwinds at their own time. So, the message that I got was, don't get addicted to the hard parts. And it was so clear, it came to me just like that. Damn, almost fully. And I didn't want to forget, this is one thing I for sure didn't want to forget, right? I was like, this is the message. And so there were, you know, the guys on either side. And I was like, hey, hey. And you don't know kind of how loud you're talking <laughs>
5: because we sort of
0: lose touch with that. <laughs> and then they were like, do you want to tell me something? <laughs> I, I said, I got a message and it's don't get addicted to the hard parts. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. My post-ayahuasca good vibes lasted for weeks And there are still some residual mindset shifts to this day. I think if you have a great experience, it's easy to want to evangelize about it. I was seriously trying to get my parents on board. But like I said earlier, it's not without risks. And those aren't just health risks and medical risks. So I was glad my next episode with author Jesse Jarno brought me out of the clouds a little bit.
6: My name is Jesse Jarno. I wrote the book, Head's Biography of Psychedelic America, available from Hachette, wherever uh, books are sold, and uh, co-host the official Good Old Grateful Dead podcast. So I grew up in basically the 90s. You know, I was born in the late 70s and as a teenager in the 90s. and psychedelics were really prevalent in my world in my high school in my college they were just around and as was the culture that surrounded them and that was really kind of the visible thing and that includes deadhead culture but also all these other psychedelic subcultures that kind of floated around psychedelic metalheads psychedelic skaters and it was you know it was was lsd it was mushrooms it was by the time i got to college um mdma was kind of coming into the picture. Uh-huh. And I had read all these, you know, psychedelic history books, you know, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, kind of the starting point, but there's been lots of them. And they all kind of ended around the early 1970s. It was all kind of like the 60s happened and people did right. psychedelics and then they went away or something. they the, got the, the, sober. Yeah, or, or, you know, or <laughs> then punk, yeah. they, well, then punk rock happened and whatever, but everybody <laughs> kind of ignored that there was this continuing thread that by the 90s was really pretty active. And um, as it turned out, was kind of the second peak of psychedelics in in the United States, according to like DEA data. And this is, you know, this is LSD, you know, mushrooms, that kind of stuff. And I, I wanted to connect those two points. I wanted to kind of connect my lived experience in the 90s and the 2000s with the origin points or, you know, the transit points, I guess, in the 60s um, and and the 50s and the 40s. And as I was doing that, I I started writing the book in 2012 and had been thinking about these topics for like a long time before that. Basically started writing in 2012 and then it came out in 2016. And kind of during that window, there was this huge just explosion of kind of a, a a new wave, a different wave of psychedelics, you know, connected to what I was writing about, but kind of its own shape and its own movement. And that's sort of the last, you know, that's really the last like two or three pages of the book, you know, this is, (laughs) but, you know, I feel like there can and should be, you know, like the last basically half decade or more is kind of its own thing and I'm sure will be written about as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. So, I mean, I want to get into more of the discoveries of the book, but what have you seen because it does seem like there's this revival happening, or I don't even know if that's the right word, but there's a resurgence of some sort, maybe not you're yeah, making a well face. i mean
6: at, at this point it's sort of beyond resurgence and it's kind of turned to it's kind of the the first stages of i'm trying to think of the proper verb form becoming corporate, going corporate, you know, kind yes. of you know people attempting to put patents on various you know mushroom therapies or you know these things that have been just sort of in the tradition you know passed down from for years and years and years and you know people are like you know cashing in and uh, it's a little weird it's a lot mm-hmm. weird it's not I'm not totally cool with all of it you know it's just seeing things in mainstream magazines about ayahuasca ceremonies being treated as like juice cleanses basically equating those kinds of things it it, mm-hmm. it feels it's 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 pretty weird you know I'm not sure I don't well, they're probably still going on, but there's a while where, you know, like ayahuasca ceremonies happening just in yoga studios in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. And it, it's all, it's very, it's present in a way, in a, diff- a very different way than it was in the before. And that, you know, that's not all bad for sure, but um, it's definitely fashionable in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you were going to diagnose... <laughs> That (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) What are the problematic parts of it? You know, you mentioned patents, and I definitely see that kind of trend. And then are there any good parts?
6: (laughs) Well, I mean, a lot of it I think just couples with just the social media explosion of information being instantaneous everywhere, and everybody's kind of plugged into the same group mind of being able to find out, you know, seemingly reliable information about this stuff you know you can look up papers you can you can plug into all that and that's that's how, i mean to me that access to information is you know one one upside but yeah i guess i mean a big difference between what psychedelics were primarily in kind of the underground culture in the 60s 70s 80s 90s and kind of the way they're treated now as sort of this health thing is that they're very institutionalized now it's now you go you know you Find a therapist or a partner or a, somebody that you hopefully trust, but it's ultimately kind of an institutionalized form of it. And with institutions come power structures, and with power mm-hmm. structures come questions about power and who it is that you're, you know, having this experience with and you're letting guide you through this really powerful experience. But that's the part where it be, where it does become troublesome, and that you know, there's a lot of that's definitely a lot of what's coming to light now is just how those structures and powers have been abused over the last half or many decades. And so that, I mean, that is a real difference. You know, a, a lot of, I think, psychedelic culture was really just doing it with your friends previously. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, I mean, and and that's not to say that people did not, you know, people didn't abuse it. They certainly did. There's <laughs> countless examples of really bad situations that that resulted, but also ultimately, you know, I feel like friend groups are kind of, A safe place to do that kind of thing.
0: Hey, privates! Privates with penises, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with the universal launch that fits most fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it, you define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes. And in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to PPUPOD.com. That's the website, PPUPOD.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is PPUPOD.com and enter code PRIVATE10. And it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So my interview with Jesse Jarno, who you just heard from, is where we left off in the series. But as I started working on all this, I pitched a radio story to KCRW. My editor there was into it, so I interviewed a bunch more people to do like a really deep dive into the benefits and risks of the growing ayahuasca scene in Southern California It's a totally different sort of audio story than I normally do for the podcast, but the sound design alone deserves a replay. Kudos to Mike for crushing that. And I think the piece raises some really good points. So I want to share it with you today. My editor cut a few things for time on the final version that went up for KCRW. So this is the slightly longer director's cut.
7: You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hey, I'm Steve Chiatakis, and today we're taking you somewhere in L.A. County. I can't tell you exactly where, because what's going on here isn't exactly public. But I can tell you this. We are in the mountains of L.A. County, and the reason it's all hush-hush is because we're here for an ayahuasca ceremony. Ayahuasca is a psychedelic drug associated with indigenous Amazonian spiritual practices, and it's been catching on here in Southern California. Now, all kinds of psychedelics are back in a big way. For the past decade or so, they've been rebranded as a wellness tool. Some cities have been decriminalizing them even, starting in 2019 with Denver, Colorado. Now, even the entire state of Oregon Not L.A., though, so this ayahuasca ceremony is on the down-low. Shh. Fortunately, reporter Courtney Kosak is going to take you inside, and she's going to tell you about the good, the bad, and the potentially very ugly side of psychedelic mania.
0: To get into an ayahuasca ceremony, you have to know someone. But the thing is, you probably do know someone, even if you didn't realize you run with that kind of crowd. You get a referral from a friend, pay a couple hundred bucks, and you're in. That's what worked for me. A couple weeks before the ceremony, I received these instructions. Disclose any medications. That's because ayahuasca can pose a serious risk if you're on certain meds. Bring toilet paper, pillows, and blankets. Wear comfortable clothing, preferably white. Why white? Well, some commenters on Reddit say white is a sign of enlightenment. It keeps the evil spirits away. I'm not so sure about that, but a friend said his first time trying ayahuasca, he made the mistake of wearing a starchy-colored shirt like he was dressing for a job interview. So I opt for light-colored athleisure wear instead. You got to feel comfortable puking your guts out. Because yeah, all I know for sure is I'm probably going to puke my guts out. Ayahuasca is famous for the purge.
2: The biggest growth I've gotten so far is getting over the the like fear or reluctance to want to be throwing up or in a room full of people that people are throwing up
0: that's jay talking about what he got from the ceremony we both attended you'll hear more from jay later and that's just his initial by the way not his name okay it is friday evening rush hour basically when the night finally comes i drive deep into the mountains Okay, turning in. Excited and nervous. Awesome, so now I'm gonna go in. Happy trip to me. I feel like I could puke just walking in the door. Our fellow seekers tonight, there are about 20 of them, aren't druggies or burnouts. Most ayahuasca users don't even consider it a drug. They call it medicine. Many of them have been here before. Tonight, there's a pilot, a barber, some people in the entertainment industry, folks who've suffered from PTSD and sexual trauma, and a single mom who turned to ayahuasca because she was struggling to co-parent with her ex. Some people are even here with their parents. There is a lot more gray hair than I was expecting. What are they doing here? Well... One told me that psychedelics have helped her before. You know, I, I made the decisions to go to grad school and to move to California, all of these based on psychedelic experiences where I needed sort of reassurance from the collective that it was <laughs> the right path. And Jay wanted to shake things up.
2: After I went through a divorce, so I was like, you know what? I don't want to stay within these parameters. I want to push my boundaries out
5: mm-hmm. and
2: I want to take chances and I want to. different in relationship and I want to be different in my life. I want to be different in my work.
0: I have to leave the recording equipment behind, fortunately for you, because yes, there is going to be some serious retching. After sharing our intentions, we each go up for a little cup, drink together. It's disgusting. Ayahuasca tastes like motor oil and dirt with a harsh bitter sweetness that reminds me of how coolant smells. For the first 10 minutes, it's silent. Then someone vomits, the first of many purges to come. And purging isn't just vomit, it comes in many forms. Here's Dr. Jeff McNary, the chief medical officer at Rhythmia, a luxury spiritual resort in Costa Rica that offers ayahuasca retreats.
4: Well, a psychosomatic response to anything is physical in nature, right? So if I have anxiety and I don't ever uh, let it out, um, when I drink ayahuasca, the ayahuasca goes to where I'm holding my anxiety, maybe my lower back, maybe my wherever I'm holding it, and it purges it out. And that can be vomiting, going to the bathroom, sweating. Uh, my favorite is yawning. That's a purge. I love that one.
0: Slowly, a cacophony of bodily noises escalates, And all of a sudden, pupils are dilated and we are high. The music kicks in.
1: The music is directing the ceremony and telling it where to go. It's taking people on a journey.
0: This is Tony Moss, who leads a local group called I Am Life, that does ayahuasca-inspired ceremonies without the ayahuasca. Because in Southern California, ayahuasca is only legal in certain contexts. There is definitely an interplay between the music and intentions and the medicine. And sometimes it's hard to tell where those intentions are coming from. Here's a fellow seeker we'll call A.
3: You sort of get on the same wavelength because the music is playing the whole time. That is your rhythm. That is the rhythm of the entire room. And so you start having thoughts, but you don't know if your thoughts are coming from you or coming from the music. It felt like the music was responding to my thoughts and other people in the room. And I think it's vice versa. I think the music's dictating what it is and people are responding to that emotionally and the the medicine allows you to do that.
0: So everyone is on the same wavelength. I feel my usual cynicism melting away. I go to the bathroom to purge and on the way, I tell a grown man dressed in head-to-toe white spandex that he looks luminous. I want to tell everyone how special they are. I start to wonder, who am I? This is exactly what Jay came here for.
2: What I try, what I'm trying to get to, is a place where they, where, where there's what they call ego dissolution, like in the Johns Hopkins studies.
0: Ego dissolution is a key feature of the psychedelic experience. It's an ecstatic state where you drop your boundaries between yourself and the outside world.
2: I definitely feel like a connection to the other people in the room who are going through it with us. I feel, I feel like we're all part of the same neural network. It feels like. And we're all in the same resonance because we have this medicine through us.
0: But this oneness, this vulnerability and openness that ayahuasca users are commonly in search of is also where things can start to go off the rails.
6: When you go into these spaces, there is such exuberance and there is such excitement and there is such a shared sense of community because when you're engaged in boundary-dissolving drugs, how could you not feel at times at one with your comrades and confidants and friends who sit in circle with you every few weeks or months and, you know, these are the people that you show this piece of yourself that no one else gets to see. And yet, like, that exuberance, I think, frequently overrides the whispers and murmurs and and concerns. Like, that gut feeling that tells you maybe everything isn't sunshine and rainbows.
0: That's Dave Nichols, a producer and co-host on the New York Magazine podcast Cover Story Power Trip. He and his co-host dove into the dark side of ayahuasca. And yes there is definitely a dark side. There have been allegations of rape, sexual abuse, and other misconduct that have undermined some of the research and institutions at the forefront of this so-called renaissance. What makes these allegations worse is that many people seeking this type of treatment are already vulnerable. Dr. Lily K. Ross, who co-hosted the podcast with Nichols, says there's also a culture
5: of hostility to anyone who points out the problems. The idea is we want to protect the movement. We want to protect the renaissance. We want psychedelics to have the most beautiful, glimmering, alluring image possible because we're fighting against criminalization and we're trying to get these drugs legal. But the consequence of all of that is that here we are on the brink of legalization. This could be scaled up to millions and millions of people in the years ahead. And there are all of these really important discussions that haven't happened. So in like other fields, you would expect to see rigorous debate and many citations and like this person said this and that person thought that it was ridiculous or they thought it was good, but they had this idea as well. Like you would have those iterations of debate and discourse over a long time. And what we see in the psychedelic space is that those conversations are absent, which means that like this is about to potentially go live And there are all of these really important ethical questions that simply have not been discussed, debated, and addressed. And that, ultimately, the consequences of that will be borne by the people who are seeking healing.
0: Important discussions like what is and isn't ethical for the leader of a psychedelic group to do? And what's really a safe dose? There are studies that show that ayahuasca and other psychedelics can help heal sexual trauma and addiction— But some of those studies have been discredited. Ayahuasca has also been touted as a salve for depression. And Dr. McNary gets good feedback from clients at Rhythmia.
4: The things that are kind of more common to happen is that their depression, they report that their depression is gone, that they don't need their meds, that they don't go back to meds, and that they feel um, this new sort of energy for life.
0: But the problem with ayahuasca as a remedy for depression is you have to go off your SSRI medications for 30 days before and after a ceremony, which could be dangerous for folks struggling with their mental health. Fortunately for me, this night in the mountains is much more about communing with my ancestors and feeling at one with the world than any of the negative stuff. After 12 hours and at least as many purges, I drive home from my ayahuasca trip, feeling more connected than I have in a long time. But less than 48 hours later, I find myself cracking jokes about the luminous man. My cynicism is back. So, who knows? Maybe I'll have to go back and do it all over again. For KCRW, I'm Courtney Kosak. My next guest, Giancarlo Canavesio, has made a name for himself in the psychedelic space and was a co-producer on the 2013 documentary, Neurons to Nirvana, Understanding Psychedelic Medicine.
8: Hi, my name is Giancarlo Canavesio. I am a movie producer and um, I started a company called Mangusta Production. Um, I started a web channel called Mango TV. And a podcast called Mango TV. Uh, We talk about psychedelics and non-monogamy and regeneration.
0: You have not just one documentary, but multiple documentaries kind of at the intersection of psychedelics, cannabis, stuff like that. So what made you a quote unquote psychedelics filmmaker, as I've heard you referred to?
8: (laughs) so i think you know my wife initiated me with ayahuasca in 2005 she was already doing it you know she was work she was modeling in new york in the 90s and already she was going to peru 30 years ago something like that and uh, and then she sort of had a practice in paris and um you know she organized a ceremony and i immediately loved it i i understood the the potential you know that was a beautiful ceremony but I understood that that was just scratching the surface then we moved to New York together I met Daniel Pinchbeck who's a psychedelic author he wrote that book Breaking Open the Head I think it was on contemporary shamanism and then and then I met him socially we became friends and and he dragged me all you know in more ceremonies and (laughs) um, then I met Amanda Fielding who's considering the UK drug czar. She runs a nonprofit called Backley Foundation. She has been researching a non-ordinary state for 60 years. And I started being involved with the research and, you know, helping sponsoring clinical trial. I use it, you know, for personal growth. And then we produced um, 2012 Time for Change Mm -hmm. And we interviewed, you know, Paul Stamett about Magic Mushroom. Then I become friends with Rick Dublin from Maps.
0: This is like a who's who of psychedelic headliners. So Giancarlo's pretty deep in this space. But I wanted to talk to him more about his personal experience. I'm glad you brought up your personal experience because I had read that you have had an ayahuasca practice for over 10 years. And I just experienced my first ceremony uh, this past weekend, and it was like life-altering. I feel like a different person. And so I just kind of want to talk about some of the benefits that you've experienced and if there have been any drawbacks as well.
8: So all this, you know, now we know, because in the last 20 years they invented the... functioning magnetic resonance imagery, the fMRI. So now they can see what's happening in the brain in real time. So all this family of plant medicine, also we call them entheogens, um, they're a family called the tryptamines, which is DMT, salosabine, mescaline, LSD. This molecule, they reduce the blood supply in three key areas of the brain the prefrontal cortex, the median cortex, the thalamus. And these three are the hubs of other parts in the brain. And together they form what they call the default mode network. So the default mode network is the closest thing neuroscientists, neuropsychopharmacologists have found to your egoic armor. Ah. So it's the closest thing to your ego, to your personality, to your conditioning. So what happened when you take this medicine The the reduced blood supply, the the default mode network is weakened. You can see on the fMRI, it goes from red to green. And so, what happened is that you can see behind your conditioning, behind your biography, behind your painful memory. So, you have like the opportunity to reinvent yourself, Uh you know, because the personality is not so set anymore. You know, imagine there is like, you know, I I was trying to explain my 10 years old because, you know, we live in Ibiza and they're exposed to drugs all the time. So we need to give him the drugs took. So we took, so I told him the good one that helps with addiction and the bad one that causes addiction. And so we said there is like, imagine three kings that, that are in charge of the three areas of the brain. And there's three areas connected to a lot of lieutenant that have other rooms. When the kings fall to bed, he says, like my son says, in all this bedroom, it's like pillow fight.
3: <laughs>
8: <laughs> it's like all the different lieutenants they're all, it's total anarchy. So, you know, the, the room of creativity is now upside down, the room of patience, the room of self-esteem, the room of painful memory. Everything is like shaking a snow globe. So in this total mess, you can see things that were behind the armor the egoic armor before uh-huh. so so yes yeah, so this is an opportunity to to work on psychological resistance on addictions on trauma on depression traumatic disorder painful memory you can separate the memory from the emotion attached to it so it gives you the opportunity to heal yourself but i mean you have to be willing you have to do the work You have to do the integration, you know, it's not a panacea, it doesn't, you know, you need to be willing to to stay with it, to continue with meditation. And then, you know, not just integrate the teaching, also apply them, Mm -hmm. you know, integrate them into your life. In terms of like authenticity, you know, you realize all of a sudden that maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you guys are living a lie because it's not really what you value in a certain person. But so then you have to have the courage to, you know, live your truth. You know, it's it can be, it can be disrupting, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but so do you mind me asking what tradition was it? You know, who was pouring? Who was serving the medicine? Which tradition? You know, like Peruvian, Colombian, Ecuadorian. Um,
0: they had just taken a trip to Peru.
8: Yeah. Was it very dark? In the room? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they would. They were singing like uh,
0: at the end. There was some of that, but there was very beautiful music at, uh-huh. throughout lots of percussion and. Yeah,
8: you know, I'm I'm a total fan of of neo shamanism. You know, they're like the purists that they say that. Okay, so you have also to drink in a certain tradition with a shaman who comes from a lineage. And, you know, have to respect the tradition, like, you know, like in a um, communion in a in Christian or mm-hmm. but mitzvah in, in a Jewish tradition. But then I'm a much more open. Of course, people need to have integrity. They have to have done the work to be right. trained. But then, you know, yoga has been westernized. Food has been westernized. Meditation has been westernized. I mean, sometimes the indigenous language might not fit our mind. You know, Father, Son and Mother Moon, it's great. But maybe, you know, you need someone a little bit more skillful with the Western
0: psyche. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about integration and post? Because I do think that that's really important. And like you bring up a really good point that it's not a panacea and that there's a lot of work that you have to do afterwards. And also intention. I didn't realize, I mean, I did a lot of research before and it was such an important piece of like focusing the experience and like being Uh, part of the therapeutic element?
8: Yes. I mean, you know, there's different style. For example, I did the ceremony last Saturday of Salo Sabin and uh, the facilitator was like, you know, no intention, let the medicine do its course. Listen, you know, there's people, you know, now it's becoming fashionable and people do it because it's the thing to do. But when I started, when was that? uh, in, In 2005, so that's like, you know, 17 years ago, there was only people that almost didn't have any other choice, you know. There, there were people that were really traumatized and mm-hmm. people with uh, with chronic condition and alcoholic and chronically depressed and suicidal. And so, you know, if you have a specific ailment to, to address, then, you know, of course, if you have an addiction, the medicine can definitely help in, in posing that. But then, of course, you know, you need to separate yourself from your environment, from the other druggy friends. You need, you know, even before going to the ceremony, you need to organize for after the ceremony, a new environment, possibly away from, from the group of people you would use with. And, you know, so that to one extreme, right? But then when you go to the more, you know, milder condition, like, you know, the most subtle trauma, you know having a fear of commitment for example or a sex addiction so if you know if you have something specific then of course you have you have to address it i always recommend to have like a therapist who's open to this experience you know for example one of the greatest therapists of all time i think is almost of all time is gabor mate he, he developed a type of therapy called um, ci compassionate inquiry and it's based on childhood trauma and somatic work, you know, work on your body. What is the trauma in your body? And he was organizing a retreat in Mexico, in Yalapa, Mexico, together with a shaman, trained with the shipibo. And that's for me was the best when, you know, we would like drink at night. And then during the day, he would do the group, the group therapy. Um. And sometimes the shaman would participate. And he would like energetically confirm certain intuition, certain blockage that the shaman would see energetically, and Gabor would find out just with like, you know, with, with, with dialogue. And so that kind of combination was particularly successful for me. So that's now for the future. Now that psychedelics are being, you know, they they say that MDMA should be legal in in in, in the states in the next couple of years, and then maybe Sab in the next four. There are all kinds of clinics already developing all around America. Oregon has more or less legalized salosabin. So the future of this compound, I think, are in some sort of clinical setting or just maybe not necessarily like, that's a big debate, if there's going to be completely integrated in the health system, in the insurance system, or they can also be outside the medical system, like you go to a, you know, like a um, you know, wellness center to detox or to lose some weight, right? So I think that ideally you want to integrate this medicine also with with, with psychotherapy, somatic therapy, you know, transpersonal therapy. I think the future of integration, integra- integration for psychedelic medicine is together with some sort of Western psychotherapy, which is, I think, transpersonal psychology. That has the framework to integrate this altered state. So, I would recommend to people that are looking at this medicine to maybe find someone who also has a you know psychotherapeutical training that can give the support. You know, it's not the medicine that works; is the medicine helps expose the subconscious mm-hmm. for then people to have to access it better but it doesn't solve the problem. You know, it's not called psychedelic therapy. It's called psychedelic assisted psychotherapy.
0: So you mentioned you're in Ibiza and I know you're from Italy and I'm curious, like what the landscape is kind of beyond the United States. Is there a global psychedelics kind of interest happening right now?
8: Yes, of course. There's a big, there's a big interest, of course, you know, all Ibiza residents are some sort of psychonaut. Um, <laughs> there's an organization called I C Ears, which I recommend your listener to check it out.
0: John Carlos referring to the International Center for Ethnobotanical Education, Research, and Service, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming society's relationship with psychoactive plants.
8: And there is, you know, they are basically they are offering all kinds of uh, resources for. People looking for information about those plants. There is a defense fund for people that gets in trouble legally with those plants. There is um, one friend of mine, Jerónimo Mazzarasa, who specific his, his job definition is to imagine 20 years down the line how this medicine will be integrated in society because they are a little bit like hybrid, right? They're not traditional medicine. They're not traditional therapy. So um, they are doing great work. In general, yeah, I mean, there are, like, ceremonies all the time, all around the world. <laughs> There's, like, documentaries coming all the time. There's, like, a huge investment in in funds. It's becoming, like, you know, a trillion-dollar business.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the kind of questionable things that's happening right now, is, like, people trying to patent things that have been around for thousands of years. And even I interviewed someone, very nice person and seemingly savvy business person, but they trademarked the word psychedelic around the world, which I was like, I don't know if you should be able to do that. So um, how do you feel about kind of the corporatization of psychedelics?
8: So it's a it's a big debate. You know, there is two models. There is the the copyright model and the non copyright model. So, you know, the big one now that is traded at the Nasdaq is called Compass Pathways. I think they're worth two billion dollar. And they've been basically the idea is this. You know, you cannot patent the magic mushroom because it's public domain, grows everywhere. Right. But you can modify just enough to create a new molecule which is patentable. And then they patented, you know, the way the rooms look like, and the, and the sofa, and the, so people say, you know, why would you do that? Mushroom has been working very well for thousand years, just like that. But so their argument is that, you know, it need to be a for profit model to be able to, you know, expand and and working within the capitalistic system and the insurance. And the the counter argument is that, you know, be careful because. You know, one big part of the application of this medicine is the fact that you need a therapist for five, six hours, right? For the integration and someone to be there. And so when this company will start to have competitor, it might be the first team to cut, right? Mm -hmm. The reason why now you go to see a shrink, they don't talk to you because it's not very profitable. They prefer to prescribe you things immediately,
2: Mm
5: -hmm.
8: you know. And then there is the other topic that you know, like a healthy customer is not a good customer for a profit-based health healthcare system. So we'll see. I think we'll see. We'll see what happens. Then maps, for example, you know, they are they don't want to like with patent that they have a non patent model, but they also want to you know monetize their system in order to to spread and offer. You know, their focus on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy now. So they're using some sort of financing, which is not the, the, the typical... I think it's more like project financing than patent based on equity-based, where basically they will make money by selling their MDMA. That They are uh, collecting data, they synthesize their MDMA, they will make money from selling that, but they're not patenting it. And there is the argument that I heard on the English podcast on uh, um, Rebel Wisdom, you know, they talk about the game theory, right? This, in capitalism, this idea that it's only by maximizing your interest that you're going to come out winning the game of, of, of capitalism. So, Steve, he says that, you know, the game theory is, is this idea that, you know, there's going to be an asshole in this game anyway, so it'd rather be me. You know, this is the <laughs> game theory. So how do you apply the game theory to psychedelics? You know, it's a, it's a big debate. It's a big debate. Find out this conversation... On Rebel Wisdom, they had like actually they make a documentary, the Rebel Wisdom
0: guys. The Rebel Wisdom guys did make a documentary. Actually, they have a bunch of stuff on their YouTube channel, including a debate with Compass Pathways. You should check it all out. But here's a soundbite from their video, "Psychedelic Capitalism and the Sacred," that elaborates on the game theory point John Carlo just mentioned.
6: And here's author Jamie Wheel explaining how game theory plays out in the psychedelic space.
7: And I think one of the most relevant for this situation is um, the notion of the multipolar trap, which is just the simplest way to say it is if somebody's definitely gonna be a dick, it might as well be me. Because of that logic, it drives good people to a sociopathic conclusion, not because they are actually sociopaths themselves, but they have they have decent evidence. Right on behalf of their stakeholders that someone else is a sociopath. Therefore, we we must for rational self-preservation. And so that's where the whole thing of like, I've looked into their eyes, I've seen their soul, we've broken bread, we've tripped for a night, right? They've told me their profound journey story, which brought them to this space, right? All those things go out the fucking window.
0: So... I guess you're looking at me, a newbie, (laughs) relatively to the space. What do you think that I should know about psychedelics in general moving forward as I am trying to apply this in my both personal life for growth and as, you know, I'm working on spreading the message in responsible ways as well?
8: Yeah, I mean, you you have to like you know do it more.
0: <laughs> of course.
8: <laughs> you know, yeah, do it more and 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 yeah, pay attention. There, there is the one book I always recommend is the Michael Pollan,
1: mm-hmm.
8: the Michael Pollan book on psychedelics, that's very informative, and then see how you can um, they say they say you know drink, receive, integrate, apply. You know they say this medicine they are like plant teachers right so. You know you need to when you go to a teacher and you got your lesson then you have to study it and you don't want to go back after a month because if you haven't studied then the teacher is going to get bored with you he's going to say what do you want from me did you study what i told you last time right and sometimes it's like that you know i did so many ceremonies and i wasn't really integrating to be honest i just like the peak experience uh-huh. and also the collective the collective experience you know like in the sunrise you felt like the scoop of it was like a most beautiful party so which is also fine you know it's in, in, in Brazil there is the you know different other tradition of of, of diamond where, where you're all in white and you dance all night and it doesn't have necessarily the like dark soul-searching miserable experience it can also be celebratory you know they don't like the word it, um, recreational uh-huh. but then if you use the word the word celebratory then it's fine I think right
2: so <laughs>
0: semantics
8: enjoy the enjoy the search you know i'm excited for you you know when i discovered ayahuasca i had like i don't know i think like seven years of i was like evangelical about it you know <laughs> I, would, I would i would tell everybody that what do you mean you ever tried it
0: <laughs> despite sitting at some powerful ayahuasca ceremonies i'm actually trying not to be evangelical about psychedelics And right after my last ceremony, I actually started a new medication that contraindicates with ayahuasca in specific due to serotonin syndrome. So I've had to take a break and I'm happy about it because it's forced me to have plenty of time in between to integrate my experience before I go back for more. And in the meantime, I'm currently reporting a story about ketamine, but it's going to be months before we do another episode on the podcast about psychedelics. So if you're like, wait, I I want to hear more. There's a link in the description. If you want to catch up on the rest of the mind trip series, thank you for tuning into this episode of private parts unknown. Like I said, I'm going to be back next time with an episode about unionizing strippers, which is such a good one. To stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosack. That's K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and Private Parts Un on Twitter and TikTok. For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player right now. On Spotify, you press the little bell button and you hit follow. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. I send out episode reminders and fun extra goodies. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the Bomb Ass Theme Music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by my ride or die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could I ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com/slash private. Give me a quick five-star rating and review. It helps other people find the show. It makes me feel amazing. It helps me get better guests. Again, that is ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, it's super duper easy. You just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars. And I wanna say a quick thank you because I had a goal to reach 50 ratings on Spotify. And you guys have been coming through for me. I'm up to 52 as of this recording. So new goal, I'm trying to get to 75. I know that's that's a lot, but I saw a bunch come through on this latest ask. So if you're listening on Spotify, please just reach up, give me those five stars. It literally takes five seconds and it's really raising the profile of the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I need you. My goal is 250 and I'm just at 248. So I have gotten a couple new ones, but. need a couple more. So come through for me, rate this podcast.com slash private, or give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening right now. Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness. This has been another episode of Mind Trip.